Are you having a hard time finding a good book to read about Twin Peaks? Did you finish binge-watching Twin Peaks in quarantine, and now you're looking for more? If so, we have the book for you. Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. Based off the popular show from the 1990s, read about the making of each episode from over 100 cast and crew members. This book covers Season 1, Season 2, Firewalk With Me, and Season 3. But wait, there's more! This book has commentary from the community and the host from the wildly popular podcast Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Order now! Supplies are very limited. Only $25.99 plus shipping and handling. Go to bluerosemag.com today. And welcome to this week's Twin Peaks Unwrapped. And I'm your host, Brian Kazaska. Beside me is Ben Durant. And Ben, we have a special guest today. Yeah, this is like a special. We're not really we're not gonna really talk about just one episode. We're not going to season two yet. We're just kind of our special. We've got Joel Bacco. And he's from a dancingimage.blogspot.com and he does these great uh, like video essays called Journey Through Twin Peaks. And uh, hello, Joel. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Great. Thank Great you to for have be- you. Yeah, thank you for being here via phone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so I guess we go right into uh, Joel. Tell us like how you first uh, learned about Twin Peaks. Like what was your first oh. experience with this show? It was about eight years ago, and I rented it from Netflix. I guess, I don't remember why, but I think it was probably because of David Lynch, because I've seen Mulholland Drive and some of his other films. And I thought, hmm, let's see what this guy does with a TV show. That should be interesting. (laughs) So at the time, there was no, uh, there certainly wasn't a Blu-ray, and there wasn't even a gold box yet. So you guys talked about this a little on your show. Mm. Um, You have to start with episode one, meaning not the pilot, the one after the pilot. So I started with that episode. I don't think I even, I think I thought I was watching the pilot, and I'm like, why does everyone already know what's going on? And why is there, like, the mystery, you know, this this girl's been murdered, but every, like, you don't even discover her. She's already dead when it begins. So basically, I was kind of starting in the middle. I didn't realize it. Wow. And I was a little confused, and I was like, I don't know. But it's a little soapy, like you, like you said, Brian. And then that scene came on where Sarah Palmer sees Bob crouching in the corner, mm. and I freaked out. I think I, like... <laughs> like inadvertently yelled out loud my roommate was came and was like what's what's going on what's the matter and that was when i knew i was hooked and then after that you know came episode two with the horns sitting around the dinner table and uh the dream sequence and i said okay this is gonna be one of my favorite shows but i'm gonna stop and wait till the pilot comes out so i waited a couple years oh wow finally you know they all came out i finally watched the whole series and just you know loved it and immediately when i finished it I went back and rewatched the whole thing and wrote um, a little episode guide for my blog. So that was years before uh, Journey Through Twin Peaks, but it was like a sort of written reactions to each episode as I watched it for the second time. 
Cool. So that was that was then. A few years uh, went by, and I uh, hadn't you know I hadn't watched Twin Peaks in a long time, and I got back into it last year by total coincidence. I didn't know the missing pieces were coming out. Um, nobody knew that they were coming back out with you know another TV show. But something, I think I got a book with some essays on it, and I just started to get back into the show right before all that stuff exploded. So it was the perfect timing. And, uh, you know, since then it's been uh, a, lot of fo- a lot of focus on Twin Peaks, a lot of work done around it, a lot of writing and stuff like that. Yeah, and how did, how did you uh, come about the, this whole journey through Twin Peaks uh, video essay? I mean, it's really good. I mean, you, you definitely have done your homework, and but it's not even just like telling the facts. I mean, you've got these beautiful images that you've put together. It's it's really, really good. Like, how, how'd you come about doing that? Well, thank you for that. Um, so Journey Through Twin Peaks is a, uh, it's a video series uh, on the show and the film. And, you, you know, it's a video essay, like you said. It uses clips. And uh, my narration, I, I narrate over some of the clips. Um, I use some titles. Basically, all the different techniques you can use to analyze um, a show using, you know, uh, video and audio. So I did that. Uh, that started last fall. It literally went up on YouTube the day before Frost and Lynch tweeted that the show was coming back. So wow. good timing. <laughs> talk about, you know, serendipitous. Um, yeah. literally went up, I think, October 1st. Uh, the first part, because there was, there was four installments of many different videos, and the next day they tweeted that gum you like is going to come back in style. So wow. there was just something in the air last night. Last yeah. night that, uh, so, something was going on. Everybody was, because I've heard this from other people too, you know. But then from that point on, I kept uh, doing new installments, and it's uh, 20, 28 videos that are about, you know, mostly five to ten minutes. Uh, some a little bit longer on YouTube. Uh, and then it's also on Vimeo. I did it in four installments. Um, so that's why it's called a four-part series. But really, if you watch it on YouTube, there's 28 uh, chapters. And you can watch them in any order. You can jump into the mythology part or the part about Laura Palmer or Cooper, or you can watch, um, you know, in the, in the order of the chapters because it is chronological. It covers the series from beginning to end. And whenever I do an aside on a certain character or a certain theme, it's only up to that point that I've reached uh, in the episodes. So theoretically, you can watch it along with the series your first time. Um, You may not want to because there are a few clips from later episodes in the film scattered throughout, but usually nothing that's spoilery, um, sort of up to your judgment. But uh, mostly I think it's it's sort of designed for people who want to kind of revisit the show and, and dig into it and find out new things about it or you know, maybe clarify things they already thought, but you get to hear somebody else say it, and you go, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And this series was, uh, this video series was selected as one of the best video essays of uh, 2014 by Vandor, which is, is really awesome. Now, what's Vandor? Well, it's, it's a website, right, by uh, uh, Kevin B. Yeah, Vandor, yeah. they actually, um, I, I actually am working for them now, coincidentally. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Um, but at the time, I, I didn't have any relation to them. Um they they publish well first of all they have streaming uh movies and tv shows sort of like hulu or netflix um mostly classic cinema i think mm. um but they they have a lot of modern stuff too but very much sort of like art house uh foreign films avant-garde films classics you know they have a great uh selection there and they also publish video essays and their head video essayist uh, kevin b lee 
is sort of the inventor of the form. Uh, he's the one who about probably 10 years ago started making uh, video essays online um, and really making it a thing that, that people could do. And so he's kind of the curator for them. And I spoke with him. And so he selected that as one of the best uh, video essays of that year. And then um, he, uh, I interviewed him this spring about his own video essay. He did something called the Transformers Premake. I don't want to go off subject, but, you know, um, that was, that's a, a uh, video essay he did, which is pretty amazing. Definitely recommend anybody to check it out. And I interviewed him about that and just about video essays in general. And then it turned out they were hiring for uh, Fandor for video essays, so I've started doing that. Um, I just put up one, um, I guess, by the time this gets released, it'll be beginning of July on the movie The Big City. Hmm. So, so yeah, sorry, get kind of off topic. You can edit that if no, you need. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by the behind long answer, long answer short, um, yeah, so they, they selected that as one of the top 25, which was great. Brought a lot of people in to, to look at it. And at that point, it was actually only halfway through um, because I finished it in January or February of this year, the fire walk with me. Oh, yeah. Which actually turned out to be, um, to my surprise, because it's only a two-hour film, turned out to be the longest section of the whole uh, video essay, which to me makes sense because I view the film as being very much uh, the culmination of the show, kind of the contradiction of the show, hmm. and also kind of the Rosetta Stone. It's it's very many things. So you'll have an interesting time when you get to that film. Uh, I'm ex- I'm whole, looking forward to it. Not a million things you could say about it, but we'll save that till later. Yeah. <laughs> and my last thing about about about, uh, about the journey through Twin Peaks uh, video essays is that uh, when it was on YouTube, that you actually got a takedown notice. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So I got a takedown notice. Um, from CBS. Um, usually those things are automated. I think it went up right away. And, you know, I challenged it, and they actually responded back. So we sort of had a dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke with a, one of their uh, lawyers and everything. And ultimately, you know, I kind of held my ground because they wanted me to take it down. And I held my ground, and I said, this is fair use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a scholarly project. Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's bringing new people to Twin Peaks, making fans of it appreciate it even more and you know it's legally standing it's mm. it's it's legitimate analysis using the material definitely so you know we went back and forth on that and they ultimately said yeah you know what that's that's fine you can keep them up and sort of back down from that and uh and i think that was how kevin first found out about it because i contacted him just asking if he had any advice because it dealt with like with some stuff like that before. You know, it's sort of, uh, and and I would just tell anybody who's listening, if they're into video essays or videos and the copyright, people don't really understand the law is actually very much on the side of um, users. Hmm. That, you know, if you're putting something up and it's it's fair use, it's really the onus is on them to somehow demonstrate that it's damaging to them. And they can't really because, (laughs) you know, it isn't. And, uh, so a lot of times there's a lot of sort of like huffing and and, and I don't CBS they were actually very cordial about it. I had a good dialogue with this person, but you know in general there's a lot of huffing and puffing. I got it from um, the copyright holder on the film as well. They never even watched it. They sent takedown notices in the middle of the night. Mm. Um, and, you know the second <laughs> it went up, so it was kind of absurd. It was which actually some of that is illegal. Um, so not to get too off topic, but. 
a lot of times people don't realize the copyright owners are more restricted than we are. And if they're just pushing you around and having stuff taken down without really watching it or having a reason for it, that actually is a violation of, uh, of you know, um, fair use. Yeah. So, well, I'm so glad that well, you're I'm able to keep it. Anything, but there's yeah. a whole interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad because I mean, thing about yeah, your series is is, is wonderful. Is to look into it, a lot of uh, articles online and stuff. Yeah. Well, so so this 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 special we're, we're focusing most of the time on uh, on the first season of Twin Peaks. Yes. We might we might go into it the second season a little bit. So there's some spoilers, but I don't. We won't reveal who killed Laura Palmer. So uh, I don't even know yet. Yeah, you don't know. Yet. I don't even don't know. know. Yeah, we don't know if we'll find out at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, let me ask Brian if I can. Do you feel like you're going to find out the answer to that question? Do I? And I, do you want to? <laughs> I, I I do want to. Um, I'm myself, I've slowed down watching season two, like episode 10 is the last one I'm going to watch. I think from this point on, as we do the show, I'm going to watch the okay. episodes weekly with the podcast myself. Cause I feel like, Good idea, yeah, yeah I, what happens is I, because I know, and we're talking about one episode and I already know what happens and then I'm looking back at my notes, and I'm like, "Why did I write this?" Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I you start kinda, talking ahead, and I'm like, "That's not for the next episode." Exactly. I start doing that, and then I get stuck on something yeah. like uh, Agent Cooper. He's a sender, and I was talking about that from like, pilot. Yeah, you know, like four episodes. Or something. Yeah. So yeah. I, I get stuck on these things. So I got. I'm gonna I pace myself because I want to be yeah, uh, more surprised. Idea. Yeah. So, so do you want to? Do you, so you said you do want. So do you think that they are going to reveal a killer? Or do you think it'll end without resolving the mystery? Um, well, I mean, other than I, I do know they will find the killer in season two. Um, at least, at least you know a killer. Um, I also, looking back in season one, I also heard well. I tried. I did no research for this episode because I didn't want anything to spoil anything. But I did read something that Mark Frost said in the DVD commentary that the person okay. who attacks the doctor is the killer. Um, the person who attacks the doctor in. Um, so well, we see, we see it at the at the finale. He, yeah. he I think he he's that's he's attacked. But yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's uh, one interpret. I I don't know if that's I completely guess, true. I guess that's possible. No. I guess that's not really a spoiler because yeah. they don't actually uh, go well, into. And them? actually, to be perfectly honest, I don't think they ever say that on the show. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The killer with the person who attacked Jacoby. So uh, I mean, if Mark Frost says it, I guess that's what they had in mind. But I'm pretty sure they didn't have the actor. Uh, or actress playing that that figure. Yeah, right. yeah, that's true. They yeah. have somebody else because the, the, so so yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll if if anybody doesn't want to know um, who killed or whether or not you find out, yeah, um, skip ahead a minute in the pod, podcast. But yes, you do you do find out at a certain point. And uh, yeah. the funny thing about it is the performer was not told until the week before it was shot. So they actually had no idea See, who it was. Yeah, um, until until they themselves were were to you know reveal it. I heard that. Um, <laughs> I heard That's that information um, from a buddy of mine who who's into uh -huh. Twin Peaks, 
And I don't know if I mentioned that to you, Ben. Like, I, I wasn't sure. Like, someone told me they said that actor didn't know. Or, yeah, they didn't know until that week. But then someone, oh, no, you know what I heard? I heard from someone that the person knew the whole time. And there was clues. And then I asked you, Ben, and Ben, you were like, no, no, they, no they, 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 they didn't, didn't know. know. They didn't know. Yeah, yeah I mean. At, at so some... you have rumors online about right. what. So the, the the thing is they had no clue. Yeah, yeah, the actor. I mean, I've seen interviews with the actor who has basically said, yeah. That's no that's crazy, though. Yeah. Like, they're so, like, everyone's just blind. Right. Well, it's funny. It was, it was only Mark Frost and David Lynch that knew. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and then at some point, um, um. Uh, what am I saying? Uh, Jennifer Lynch is told about it, and she's writing uh, the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, which becomes um, a bestseller as we get into September, right before the uh, the new season and stuff mm-hmm. happens. But yeah, so uh, there, I, I'm trying to remember what leader of his Gorbachev, Gorbachev. But there is a leader who is like, I must. I think he's he's trying to find out from uh, from, uh, from oh, Bush Bush Senior. He's basically saying, I find <laughs> out for me who killed Laura Palmer and stuff. And like, oh, Gorbachev. So, Gorbachev. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Gorbachev. I think Gorbachev, is asking. There's actually a clip. I think in. It might be in the special that you wanted to to highlight. Oh, really? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I have. I don't. I haven't. It's on the news, and Dan Quayle was saying we were at a meeting with the Soviet (laughs) leaders, and you know Gorbachev was was trying to get us to tell him who did it. We're like, we don't know either, or something. That's funny. It was really. It's funny. We talked. You guys talked about the ratings um, on the last episode I listened to, and they were going down during season one, but it was one of those cases where the average viewer might be tuning out, but the sort of talking heads, be they, you know, reporters or politicians or other celebrities, uh, basically the people who write the media were in love with the show Mm, all through the first season. So even though it struggled a little bit, uh, it was such a hot topic, I think that played a big role in why it was renewed for a second season, because even if it wasn't, you know, cheers in terms of ratings, yeah, nobody was talking about a show as much as they were talking about Twin Peaks. Totally, and I, I don't have, I don't have actual data, but I've heard that, uh, that when it, from the people like the young people, eighteen to, I don't know, was it thirty-five or whatever, yeah. that those, uh, those were the where, where people were watching. I mean, and yep. so. Yeah. If, if you care about if, if the people that are doing the commercials, they saw that the young people were into this show, so that probably is why they kept it going. But. Yeah, and TV, Definitely. TV the back then. Graphic yeah, that they were looking for. Yeah, tuning into the show big time. Yeah, I I feel like because I was growing up when Twin Peaks was on, I didn't watch it growing up, but I always felt like TV was targeted for my parents, and maybe Twin yeah. Peaks wasn't targeted for my parents. It's targeted for. Uh, people my age are a little bit older, and I feel like TV now is targeted for the eighteen thirty-five year old, like almost everything. Oh yeah, every. But back then it was Cheers and yeah. and and it was like your fr- you know that kind of stuff, but it wasn't for you know teenagers or right. younger people. It was yeah. for people who've been watching TV. Hip. You know, it wasn't hip TV at all. No, yeah. no. You know, Twin Peaks and MTV, I guess, but that was cable. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, Network like television. That's why they greenlit it because they were losing viewers to cable. Yeah. So, you, in one of your essays, uh, Joel, you mentioned what I'd never heard before that it's possible that um, Mark Frost was the one that kind of uh, invented Laura Palmer because there was like an unsolved case in his mm. un, unsolved case uh, in the village that his family went to uh, during the summer. Did, did you, where did you get that information? That's news to me. I never had heard about that before. I got that from actually, luckily, I'm right next to my bookshelf. Um, 
from the complete David from the complete Lynch. Yeah, the complete Lynch by David Hughes. Let me see if I can. No, that's really cool. I mean, that's really yeah. interesting information. I mean, it says, wow. Because I mean, I think we were talking before. I was thinking that maybe Laura Palmer was based just on on Marilyn Monroe because Lynch and Frost had been working on that screenplay. But I never realized that. Uh, oh, that maybe in that old movie too. And Laura, right? And that Laura. Laura film. That's yeah. ironic. You just said that because the page I opened up to, right as you were saying that, is. Uh, Goddess? Talking about Laura, being, Laura and Marilyn Monroe. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that, <laughs> I'll, that's I'll, read funny. Both, I'll read both passages. All right, sounds good. Um, let me start with the one about how it was, uh, may have been inspired. It says, well, basically, she says, hmm. I thought it was in the complete lynch. I'll, I'll keep looking for it while we're talking. But basically, uh, there was a murder around 1910 in the town that the Frost family summered in. Mm. So that was sort of lore passed down the years. And it's been suggested that that may have uh, influenced them to say, why doesn't a girl wash up on shore? That could be the that could be how it begins. That's something. Because basically, that's you know that's kind of the hook to draw you in. Now, another interesting thing, and this to me is one of the key things about the show, and it doesn't make too much sense to talk about it now. It's something that you're going to see more later as the show sort of develops. Mm. But uh, I'm going to read this quote because it opens the clip you're going to play, but it's text on the of my video essay, but it's text on the screen, so the, the listeners won't be able to, to hear it when the music is or to hear it when the music's playing because they'd be seeing it. So I'm going to I'll read it right now. It says, Frost has claimed that the small-town setting, uh, originally located in North Dakota, came before the murder mystery. We had worked on what was in Twin Peaks, what the town was like for some months, but it wasn't until we said a body washes up on shore that we had a starting point not just for our first image but for the whole mystery. So that's Frost speaking. Mm. And then Lynch, however, says that the entire idea was sparked by the image of a body washing up on the shore of a lake. So that's interesting to me mm. because it starts to suggest something I think you'll see as the show goes on in the movie, which is um, I believe it was Frost who was more interested in telling the story of this whole town and that Lynch at least doesn't went along, because this might be his revisionist memory, which he's been known to have, um, saying this, that it was all about the girl washing up on shore. I think he began to become more interested in her story and her mystery um, to the point where that almost became the point of the show to him. So that's just... Yeah, I agree. When you see the episodes that he directed, and Brian, you'll notice that. You've already seen yeah. really the majority of the episodes he's going to direct in the series. Um, but when you see his name pop up again, you know, you keep that. And then the, the, the stretch where he isn't directing, it's sort of something to, interesting to keep in mind. Yeah, so I like, do notice. I'll, I'll read the Marilyn Monroe thing because I, I can't find the quote about the, the small-town murder. Uh, it says, Although Lynch falls short of admitting that Twin Peaks was inspired by the tragic life and mysterious death of Marilyn Monroe, he admits that the parallels exist. It's a phenomenon that's not just limited to Marilyn Monroe, he notes. There's a lot of girls like that. It's human nature. But I think that whatever it was about Laura Palmer and Marilyn Monroe, that was a thing, you know, that I'm not speaking for Mark Frost, but for me, I was really interested in that. 
and that's another thing that sort of ties into him being interested in Laura more than the town, um, is that there's a quote of Lynch talking about that goddess project that him and Frost were writing. Mm. And he says, as we were writing it, it got more and more about the Kennedys and their conspiracy and the political intrigue, and it became less about the psychology of this woman. Well, he doesn't say psychology, but he says it became less about this woman who was falling. And I, I, lost, I went cold on it. So there's all these sort of little interesting hints of what really interested Lynch um, in the story. I think he did love the town, and he did love those, that crazy world and those people. But if you look at his films, um, really in the end they're about uh, people, especially the recent ones, usually about you know, young women who are sort of falling into this darkness and, and losing this sense of themselves and trying to get out of it and struggling with that. You know, you see that in Mulholland Drive, you see that in The oh, yeah. Empire, um, so it's just an interesting pattern, I think. And, yeah, the Marilyn Monroe thing, I was glad you pointed that out because I do think that's I think that's a good um, – it's almost like good foreshadowing in his life of what he was going to get into with Twin Peaks, but they, that's, that's the project him and Frost met on. And that Frost was really interested by the intrigue and the political stuff with the brothers. Definitely, I agree. And, yeah. and uh, with the Twin Peaks behind-the-scenes book, I think they talk about when they were developing Twin Peaks – uh, Mark Frost's first thought was, they need to have a doctor, and the doctor can be my father, uh, you know, uh, is it Warren Frost, but it, yeah, it became yeah. Doctor Doc Hayward. Yeah. But it was like, that, I think that was the first, besides Laura Palmer and stuff, I think the first character in town was the doctor and stuff. But it seems like that was uh, Mark Frost's mentality. It's like, I need to, I, you know, we need to create all these characters and stuff. Like mm. that. And knowing Lynch, he probably was more about the visuals. And it's like, I want to talk about the trees and, yeah, and other yeah. things. But, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh man! Um, uh, the Marilyn Monroe though combo in that way—it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, and it works. I mean, they made it work. And it, what were you gonna say, Brian? No, um, no, I was gonna say um, the whole like you guys just—you mentioning the Marilyn Monroe in the JFK has really like mm-hmm. uh, you, I you, it's just like you put a piece of puzzle in a gigantic mass, and I, I you fit it right in there because now. I really see the connection of Marilyn Monroe and Laura Palmer. Yeah, they're like the wild girls. The, you know, uh, the guys want to be with her. Every girl wants to be her. And that goes with the show because later on, Donna kind of wants to be Laura Palmer. Yeah. And then you have the cousin who kind of is fitting in that role of Laura Palmer. Mm. And um, yeah, like. And then Ben and Jerry are sort of like um, I think you mentioned this before. They're kind of like the Kennedys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, like yeah, like yeah. Cool. I like that. And Joel, so what was your reaction when you heard that the that the show was coming back? I mean, I was I was kind of like amazed because I it wasn't like a thing. I was I wasn't really one of the like bring back Twin Peaks you know, a people who was like, you gotta, it's gotta come back. It's not finished. Um, I was kind of okay with it being as it was, even though it's kind of fragmented and mm. incomplete in a way, I felt like there's, there's power there. There's closure even a little bit in the film in a, in a very roundabout way, you know, don't, yeah. don't expect just as a warning, don't expect too much plot resolution out of the film. Right. Yeah. But is, you know, spiritually it's like mm. the, the cycle, the circle is closing and everything. True. So I was surprised. I was happy because and honestly, mostly because it means more David Lynch and he hasn't directed anything in ten years. Yeah. So I'm like, man, this is great and, and now that it's gonna be eighteen hours oh, wow. you know, that's 
more than he, if you, get this, he's done a lot of short films, so maybe if you throw that in there, it's more, but this is essentially everything he's done up to, up to this point in his life, mm. probably totals it not is... that much more than 18 hours. So yeah. this is really unreal that he's made this commitment, um, and I, <laughs> like, so excited yeah. to see what it is and what it's going to mean. I think, honestly, none of us have any idea, like, it's just, just like the original show itself, it's it's going to blindside us. And some people won't like that, and some people will love it. Mm. Um, you know, knock on wood, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love it. I think I am. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is funny because uh, I think David Lynch directed six episodes of the two seasons of Twin yeah. Peaks. So to go from six, yeah. six for the whole series and then have a new series and yeah. be like, I'm committing 18. to 18. Yeah. And do you think it's going to be t- yeah. two seasons? Do you really think that's going to be one season? I mean, when you're hearing this 18, I mean. I keep thinking like it'll be two, but they yeah. haven't said that. Right. Oh, they haven't said it's going to be two seasons. So it may be one long season. To me, I think. I'm more comfortable with the idea of it being two seasons because there's something really elegant about a nine-episode season. You know, you saw it with True Detective, which we'll get to later. Yeah. And even the first season of Twin Peaks uh, was eight episodes, you know, the pilot plus seven. And that, Mm -hmm. uh, even though I kind of like things about second season better than first season, overall, first season is the most consistent, efficient firing on all cylinders season of Twin Peaks, you know? It's really tight. there's something nice about that, and, and... I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I wouldn't be upset if we got nine episodes, take a break, come back at nine more episodes of Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's yeah, what I would like. Yeah. I think that would be the smart thing to do. I, I hope they do do that because I don't want to see David Lynch burn himself out. I yeah. Guess, uh, you know what, though? I, yeah. I don't think he would, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of a trust in them thing. I trust that Lynch and Frost are going to do what's right and... I'm just going to sit in the passenger seat and, <laughs> and be grateful, you know. So if they go for all 18, great, let's, let's see it. But somehow in my imagination, 9 and 9 yeah, more yeah. logical. Works. That's what I, I, I think 9 and 9, they could probably do 9 in a mini break, sort of like uh, Walking Dead goes from October to December, and they don't come back till February. Uh- you know, or I can see them. Well, and all the shows now, ever since Sopranos, uh, Mad Men did it too. They do this like final season, first half, second half. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They just call it two different seasons. Right. Yeah. But yeah. For some reason they want it all to be one season in the mind of the viewer. So. Oh, that's true. So, do you have any favorite parts you want to talk about of of season one? Um, well, so far I've listened up to episode three. I just listened to that about an hour ago. Oh yeah. Oh oh oh. About, oh, you're talking about our podcast. I was just talking about uh, Twin Peaks season in general. Not, but you're just saying of season one period. Yeah, just period. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we all oh, say okay. the Red Room and stuff like no, that. It's funny. Episode two is definitely my favorite of the of the first season. Um, no doubt about it. You know, it's it's David Lynch kind of at his best. Yeah. Um, some people love the pilot the most. I I do love the pilot, but I think. It's more like it's almost more like admiration. Like I, I love that it's getting us into this world. That I, I respect it's really mm. well done. Like it's probably the most well written episode of any of them. It's oh just yeah. So tight the structure of that and how the information flows out. But I think I enjoy episode two more. It's just got more of this sense of like fun and craziness and who the hell mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. And, and they had the rock that, bottle <laughs> throwing. Oh stuff yeah, the too. rock, the rock throwing <laughs> is yeah, my favorite. Exactly. Yeah. Classic. Like what is going on? Oh man. Too funny. And, and I, I mentioned it before, but that opening scene is just brilliant. And 
uh, of the Horn family sitting and munching in silence for like yeah. two minutes. The, the, yeah, Johnny in that Indian headdress is just grunting in the corner. Right. Like oh. when I watched that, I hadn't seen the pilot, so I had no clue who this guy in the Indian headdress was. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, you know, the first episode, Dwayne Dunham, it, he does a fine job, you know, as a sort of a normal TV director. But you can tell it's not directed by like, you know, a, a film, a, a died in the world filmmaker. Episode two, you get that sense right from the beginning. The camera mm. angles he uses, the lens, the lighting. It's like, you know, Basically. a movie on your TV set. Um, and that, I, I would imagine, you know, now everybody watches movies that way anyways, but I would imagine for, uh, for you, Ben, at the time, in 1990, watching something like that on network television, uh, you know, must have been kind of mind-blowing. It was, and I think I mentioned before. Uh, for me, that's what I think I fell really fell in love with with the media, television, and film, and and I was like, yeah, yeah to watch that the beginning of the second episode, and it's like it really feels like it's a good thirty seconds before Jerry Jerry walks in the door, and it's like, are they gonna do anything? They're just gonna eat, but it's like I love it. <laughs> I love it that David Lynch has no no problem with taking his time and just letting us watch the scene and stuff. And he he but talks it's about funny. yeah, it's too funny. <laughs> And he, he, a lot of times, his shots are like paintings. I mean, he kind of he doesn't always move the camera around a lot. He he puts a shot where it is and lets mm. lets things just happen. And oh, it was beautiful. I, yeah, I loved it. it. It was a good time. I enjoyed anything he directs. I enjoy that. Uh, any of his episodes. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I after the series, I I enjoy his um when he's directing. When it says his name, I know I'm in for a treat. Just the way I know it's gonna look exactly. different. You know. Uh, what do you think of Lost Highway? What do I think of it? Yeah, just veering off for I, a second. I like that movie a lot. I think the only the only films of his that I'm not like totally gung ho. Inland Empire has grown on me. I wasn't crazy about it the first time I saw it. The only ones that um, aren't like my favorite favorites or whatever, um, definitely not Dune. You know, yeah. I know there's people who who say it's underrated. Nah. Maybe if I see like a Blu-ray at some point, I'll appreciate the visuals. But it's certainly story, you know, story-wise, thing, it's it's not that satisfying. Yeah. Uh, and Wild at Heart, I'm not a huge fan of. I I like it, I admire it, and I think it's a really crucial film for him. Yeah. In a way that people sometimes don't realize, it's very transitional. Hmm. Um, because it was made right at the time of Twin Peaks, and you can see all these things changing. So from that standpoint, it's interesting to me. But I'm not that taken with the the story or the characters compared to some of his other films. But everything else. Uh, Lost Highway, I love. Oh, yeah. um, Mulholland Drive, you know, Eraserhead, all those films. Good films. So, so uh, we've talked about how it seems like there's there's these homages. I mean, Twin Peaks was there, and I feel like over the years, maybe X Files. We talk about Lost. Yeah. But then we have this yeah. show, uh, True Detectives. That there's there's something about it that feels like there's a little bit Twin Peaks, and and this new season. Yeah. yeah. There's this uh there's this bar singer uh, the uh, the uh, singer in real life is uh, Lyra Lynn I think it is is that who that. it is L- but but she she makes me feel like Julie Cruz from the Roadhouse in some way she's singing and 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 it, and it leaves the bar it kind of becomes the atmosphere of this show and it connects with the show yeah almost yeah. like her lyrics are connecting season, with the episode right? what's that season season two you're yeah talking we're season about two the new Texas? yeah the current season there. Yeah, the yeah. the bar singer there. Like they'll go to the bar and they'll be having a meeting, and there's just this uh, singer, you know, 
and, and yeah, I, I just, it feels kind of like uh, Julie Cruz a little bit of that kind of atmosphere, music. And Do you see connections uh, to True Detective to uh, Twin Peaks, Joel? Do I? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. And I think um, one of, I mean, if we're going to get a little spoilery, spoilery about True Detective, I think one of the things that kind of disappointed people about the first season um, and disappointed me a little, to be honest, is because I was coming straight from Twin Peaks, you know, mm-hmm. watching it several times. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking for things to get really supernatural in True Detective, but I thought they would go a little more into this sort of other side of things, the mystical experience. Yeah. And um, they didn't quite as much. They kind of backed away from that a little. So, you know, it's an interesting contrast, but I think in terms of the vibe they send off, there's definitely a similarity there um, of like this, you know, this this mystery that's taking place in the real world, and yet there's something even in this new season, like you said, the, the singer in the bar, certainly the the end of the last episode. There's these very surreal touches, yeah, kind yeah. of jump out at you and make you wonder exactly what type of show you're watching. You know, they, they go a little off kilter, and I think that's what sort of made it stand out from the pack. You know, um, in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, do you want to do? I, I was thinking we could do a little bit. I think we. I mentioned on the uh, the last show about there was a there was a primetime uh, TV show that actually had filmed people watching the last episode of Twin Peaks or the, from the first season. I can't so, wait to hear this. Yeah. So I thought I'd oh, share. Great. <laughs> so Joel, you won't be able to hear this, but we can come back to you and. Uh, I've seen it before, though, so I'll, I'll visualize it in my head. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yep. I don't hear anything, so I don't know if it's playing and it I just did. can't hear it. it. it All right. Oh Sorry, but I know you couldn't hear anything, but I thought in the past we were able to hear that what was coming through. It could be your... Uh, oh, maybe it's my headset, but you could a, hear it? I could hear it. I hear, oh! As long as it plays on the podcast, we're good. Yeah, as long as it's on the podcast. I'm sorry. I have a different setup tonight, and I didn't hear anything. So, But, yeah, Brian, weird. you heard it. Yes, I heard it. And that I didn't realize how popular Twin Peaks was. I mean, I like I wasn't paying attention to the show. I was too young. But, oh, my. That you know that reminds me of, like, uh, last episode of Lost or any Game of Thrones, anything major in Game of Thrones. You show all these people reactions. And... Yeah, that's pretty cool. That well, yeah, so they're really upset this. that they're basically basically they're led to believe by these commercials that that uh, in the season finale of the first season that w- they would know who killed Laura Palmer. And so yep. these people that, that, you know, they're kind of a test group or they were like a, a group there and they were pretty upset and shocked and stuff. And yeah. That, well, I mean, the, to have Agent Cooper be shot like that and you actually see him be shot. Yeah. And but you, you yourself said that uh, it looks like a, uh, that he's wearing a vest. So, yes. Yeah. Well, you didn't see blood, and it's network television, so I didn't expect there to be. But um, yeah, I, I kind of like oh, but still, he was shot numerous times, and you didn't find out who the killer was. You and you didn't actually think it was. You didn't think it was a season finale. I didn't even know it was a season finale <laughs> when I'm watching on the Blu-rays. The only the, the uh, thing that made me realize it was the season finale was on that disc. There's a little bonus feature, and I played it, and 
it gave me a highlighted of season one, and it says tune in September for season yeah. two. And I was like, oh, that was the season finale? Yeah. That was my giveaway. I had no clue. That's funny. Because yeah. it is such a short season. Yeah. Because I, I, I knew the show came out when it did, and I always thought, well, you know, back then a season was – 22 episodes or you know 20 you know at least more than seven so yeah yeah and we kind of i don't know if this is spoiler again but we already mentioned that uh that we will find out who killed uh laura palmer in the second season but you know lynch wanted it so that you'd never find out who killed laura palmer like he never wanted he never wanted to reveal he felt like the show was about laura palmer and never wondered and i that's a good theory though i that's a good that that could be good, but to stretch that out over almost could have been five episodes? seasons. But I mean, he would have won. It could have been the season five, and it would be like, I wonder who's gonna kill. I wonder if we're gonna find out who the killer is and stuff. Yeah, but, uh, that could have been. That you know what though? That could be fatigue on the the, the viewer. You could get you could get over it real quick. Going okay, this is ridiculous. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and you know what you're about to you're gonna see in the future is like to me is is amazing, and incredible. I mean, like you know, just story wise. And I'm so glad that if ABC forced Mark Frost and David Lynch to do it, I'm so glad they did because of what we got out of it and stuff. Yeah. So it it was worth yeah. it. I mean, even if even if it damns the show, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. So I mean, yeah, it's it's a very weird paradox. It is. Yeah. Because it's like, and I. I've said this before, I mentioned this on um, in a letter to the Sparkwood in 21 podcast too, but I've come to believe that the crux of the issue as to why David Lynch was sort of off and on with the show, um, right now he's been pretty involved up to this point, but as you watch later episodes you'll see hmm. he's not playing as big a role as he was in it. Um, I think it's because his mentality is that of a filmmaker versus a showrunner, and I, I do think there's a difference, even though today those categories get blurred a little more. Yeah. Mm. I think a showrunner is somebody who's got the big picture in the mind. They can sort of direct other people to realize their vision for them, and they kind of have, like, this end point. They have this, this um, you know, maybe they don't. I don't know if the lost people did. <laughs> but, you know, they, they theoretically have a big picture in mind, and they put all these pieces into play. It's almost like it's very, like, left-brained kind of rational thinking. And I think that's Mark Frost. And people don't give him enough credit as that he was the one who was actually managing the show day-to-day. Yeah, yeah. I think true. Lynch, when he stepped in and directed an episode, he took over completely. He threw out the script, he yep. changed lines, he added scenes, he threw in new details that became central parts of the mythology. But when he wasn't directing... You'll hear occasional stories like, oh, he dropped in the writer's room and said, do this, or he called us from overseas and do that. But you don't get a sense that he was really there day-to-day, like, overseeing the big picture of it. So I think for this, you know, this new series coming up, he really had to do it the way he's doing it, where he's directing every episode, co-writing every episode with Frost, because um, with with Twin Peaks, what what began as this great partnership kind of became a little bit of a rivalry, I think, where, you know, Frost knew how to run a TV show, and Lynch, I think, thought he could run it like a movie, and he couldn't really, you know? It, it wasn't the same thing. He can now because the circumstances are different. Yeah, TV's um, become the new movies. But, yeah, like that whole idea of not revealing the killer, it is, it's a nice idea in theory, 
But I don't think he had any plan in place of that, as to how that would actually unfold over mm. multiple seasons. He just kind of thought, well, we'll figure it out as we come to it. And, hey, I'm going to go off and make a movie now, so you take care <laughs> of that. So it's like uh, I love Lynch, but he did kind of put them in a, in, a, in a pickle with his approach to the show, you know. So you, you get this weird tension where, uh, and you did a great job, um, Ben, talking about this on, I think it was episode three, how Frost will come in and he'll take these things that Lynch came up with mm. just for like, you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool if a bird was flying? And wouldn't it be cool if she said, I'm, I, this is my cousin? Right. Frost was like, okay, well, I'm going to write an episode. We've got to write this episode by episode. We're going to bring in a cousin. We're going to bring in a bird. You're going to see red curtains in Jacques' cabin, which, you know, uh, totally. this isn't too much of a spoiler. You don't see those curtains in the cabin in the film. So that hmm. wasn't something Lynch really liked. Isn't that something? Oh, that's I, an interesting, I, I... interesting sort of thing to realize. Yeah. So you have this interesting tension between the guy who sort of views it as the job of the show to explain these things and the guy who just wants everything to kind of float away as a mystery. And, and I think, you know, I, I love Lynch and I love his films, but it's, I, I kind of like the fact that the show has that dynamic where it's sort of seesawing back and forth between those two approaches, you know. It makes it really interesting to pick apart yeah, they were really. I think they were a good match. I mean, I kind of almost like a husband and wife or something. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I think about my own, my wife and myself. I'm a little more carefree. Like, and my wife is very strict, and we need to get this done. And we have to yeah. plan. And we have to make sure our house doesn't fall apart, and so we have to do this, yeah. this, and this. And you kind of need that. Exactly. You need that. You need that balance and stuff. And so they they really did. Uh, yeah, they were good for each other. And it's funny. I mean, I hear that a lot of how Lynch wasn't really involved in the second season, and I think when he was involved, which uh, from reading, I think uh, wrapped in plastic magazine and other things like that where he would sometimes be like the night before is like, I think you could do this, this, and this. And it's like, we've planned this out <laughs> for <laughs> several episodes. Exactly. We, we, you know, the director's freaking out, has to talk to Mark Frost or who, the other executives and stuff. Yeah. We can't just be making these changes. It's nice that Dave Lynch has these great ideas, but we've got, a, you know, blueprints here and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah but it's a TV show. You want to, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those weird things where, the flaws of the show almost make me like it more. Like, um, I think if Twin Peaks was a cleaner, neater show, I wouldn't revisit it as much as I do. Yeah. It'd be like, wow, that was great. I'd move on. But it's like that fascination of you get this great stuff, and then you know, right now it's been mostly pretty good. But you, you'll there will be some, <laughs> there'll definitely be some weak episodes. I haven't, I haven't even shared that know, with Brian, but it's you true. Look at it, and you go, how, how did. I'll just tell you, the last two episodes of the series, yeah. like your mind will split apart trying to figure out how these two episodes could run one after the other. Yeah. They're, I... so different. They're so different in tone, style, sensibility, and it just, it's at that point, the show is kind of like almost split in half. At this point, there's still sort of a, you know, a balance there. But it's just, it makes it so interesting to dig into the history of it and pick apart and say, how do these different parts sort of add up to something to, you know, totally a bigger, the sum bigger than its parts. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And Joel, it's funny, you know, seeing it originally when it aired, the last two episodes were, were a movie. I mean, they, they was on hiatus and yeah. it, it didn't come yeah. back until <laughs> like June. It was like Sunday night movie of the week, Twin Peaks final and stuff. And you're oh, watching. So wow. I'm watching the first half. And then you get to the next ha second half, and it's directed by David Lynch. So you clearly know that, like, the first half is very different because you yeah. get, cause you got David Lynch <laughs> basically, you know, finishing the it's series. And What's that? 
I just said, yeah, it's wild. It's wild, but you're right. But they're very different in some ways. But yet, because of the way that they were on hiatus, that ABC decided to make. Oh. Oh, we lost Joel. We Joel, is there anything else you'd want to talk about season one about? Like something that. Yeah, I think my favorite. I said my favorite episode is episode two, but my favorite stretch of episodes in the whole series is episodes four through seven. Hmm. Um, that last, like, sec- the second half of the season where you really start getting into the mystery. I think you said, or Rapid Plastic said, it's like the first few episodes you're setting up everything, you know, who the characters are, yeah. who Laura was. And then the second half, you're now you're digging in, and it's becoming like a real murder investigation. It's got all these different facets. You've got, you know, uh, Donna and, and uh, James trying to figure out who Jacoby is with Maddie, and you've mm. got Audrey going undercover in the department store, smoking a cigarette in the closet, you know, this whole noir, noirish storyline with the bordello. And then you've got Cooper, and he's investigating clues from the dream, and they're also doing the drug investigation. And to me... Um, for much of Twin Peaks, it's like this show that has, it's absorbing and interesting, and then David Lynch comes in and hits a home run, and then you go back to kind of like waiting for him to come back. But that stretch of episodes, the second half of season one, which David Lynch isn't really involved with at all, hmm. that to me is Twin Peaks at its best as a week-to-week TV show, where yeah. you can tune in and be like, what exciting things are going to happen this week, and what are we going to find out? And it really, like, it shows you how it could theoretically have worked. As, as a weekly TV show that actually, you know, you're following the story and you're excited by it. And, you know, it's, there's this great suggestion of all these sort of tangly noir connections between everybody in town. And I think that's my favorite thing about it. Everybody's connected. There isn't this sense that you get in season two um, of everybody's off in their own little mm. story and they don't interact with the other people. It's like, no, everybody, like, Shelly and Bobby are connected to Leo, and he's connected to Hank, who's connected to Norma, and Ed is connected to the book house. There's just this chain of, of connections, and it makes everybody, you know, it, it just makes everything exciting. Even the plots that could be boring are exciting because they're wrapped up in this bigger mystery about what is this town and what's going on and, you know, who is everybody. So I really love that. And that, I think, is Mark Frost at his finest. I think, I think maybe... The film, The Firewalk with Me, is sort of David Lynch's, you know, finest contribution to, to Twin Peaks, where he's the most in control. I kind of think episode the, the second half of season one, when Lynch was off shooting Wild at Heart, and mm-hmm. Frost was, you know, writing several of the episodes by himself, I think that's Mark Frost's Twin Peaks, um, in the same way that Firewalk with Me is David Lynch's. So... Totally, and and uh, yeah, you think about how how much Mark Frost was involved with it. I mean, he really was, you know. Besides the executive producer writing it, and I've talked about uh, uh, Invitation to Love soap opera that he directed all of them, and and then he goes and writes by himself and directs the finale and stuff like that. I mean, talk about really involved with the first season. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any comments about Invitation to Love? I mean, I don't, I I don't know why I'm obsessed with this this Invitation little Invitation to Love. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm most fascinated because you have this like echoing, like things are happening, and like I, I think shared on the last show, but like Jacoby uh, is watching it, and then it's like to uh, to uh, I forgot how it goes, but like he and the invitation to love, they're like uh, 
I know the cheers or they're like to, I wish I could remember the phrase, but it's yeah, basically yeah. um to good times to remember. And then we see we see what we think is Laura Palmer, Palmer. which is Maddie and stuff like that. But at that that parallel connection and and I don't know, it's really I really thought it was cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um, yeah, they really they really love those 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 echoes within the show. Although sometimes it's like you almost think it's because they, they only have four characters on the show, mm-hmm. so you, you kind of wonder. You're like, wait, is this person representing that, or, or five characters? I guess because the girl is is two characters, right, twins. <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you sometimes you're like, okay, so so uh, Montana is. Hank, you're like, wait, no, Montana must be Leo because he just got shot. So it's almost like they kind of shot it and then they were like trying to match it up with, and it works. It does, right. you sort of pick apart at it and you're like, wait a second, (laughs) who's who here? Totally. And in the first scene, they also had, I, I don't remember seeing it as much in the second season, but they had all these, like, references to... It's never to, shown in the second season. Yeah, right. It's never when, shown in the second season. Yeah. There's one episode where you hear an audio clip ah. in the background, and that's it. And that's something. That's Supposedly, cool. that was because, I think, according to Harley Payton, Lynch didn't like it. He thought mm. it was too, too sort of sarcastic and on the nose. And he likes to be kind of ironic but in more of like a sort of a silly affectionate way and he i think he just thought it was a little too almost making like, fun of the mock, show too mocking all the yeah right but it is pretty funny and then, and also in the first season, they kind of had all these references to TV shows and movies, and I didn't really notice that anymore in the second season. That kind of went away. Where, you know, uh, uh, Lidecker there, Waldo Lidecker was from the movie Laura, which was Waldo the yep. bird and Lidecker Bob Lidecker the veterinarian. But they kind of went away with that. I mean, it's I don't know it was kind of fun, like Easter eggs that I, I guess you know they probably didn't have time when now they had to do 22 episodes <laughs> yeah, for the lot. second season. Yeah. And they- the insurance agent who um, who is letting Catherine know about the policy that, you know, was obviously right. meant to, you know, it, it, they're, obviously they're plotting to kill her. Yeah, I, ha- I knew that. His name is Neff. Oh, that's from, what it is, Neff. Uh, Double Indemnity, which is the name of the uh, Fred, Fred McMurray's character in uh, Double Indemnity. Ah. He's, he's the insurance agent who plots with Barbara Stanwyck. So, yeah, they've got all kinds of... Uh, that's something... Kind of little references in there. Wow. Now, will you, do you think you'll be doing uh, other things with uh, above Twin Peaks? Will you be covering it when the new series comes back? Do you think you'll be uh, blogging about it? Or? I think after, um, so like there's basically four, even though it's the 28 chapters, there's basically four parts that they fall into. There's season one, um, season two, up through, I guess I can say it, up through the resolution of the Laura Palmer mystery. Um, the rest of the show, so like the second half of the show, mm. all the rest of season two, and then part four was uh, Fire and Walk With Me. Yeah. Yeah, I think part five would be the new series, and if there's two seasons, maybe I'll do a part five and part six. I'm not sure yet. Now, probably either way, maybe I'd, I'd do a part five and part six, because that's a lot of material to cover. Yeah. And, you know, however long. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I have to digest the whole thing first. True. <laughs> Yeah. I, I plan when the show comes back, they said that they're going to rerun the series beforehand. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to do that because mm. if they do it one a week, that would be like 30 weeks. And the way that, the way that Lynch is shooting it and editing it, I'm not sure they're going to know 30 weeks ahead of time. You know, But I guess they will because they have to schedule, you know, they have to make their schedule. But when that happens, I'm going to um, put up, sort of a mixture of new pieces and old pieces 
on the series, mm. uh, where I'll have, like, so say for episode one, I'll have uh, the write-up I did in 2008, but I'll combine it with some new observations with the, the video clip that covers that part of the series, um, and, you know, maybe some pictures I featured in other posts. So it'll be sort of like a, a mega post made up of all my previous, you know, Twin nice. writing and some new writing on that. And then once that gets into the new season, or the new series, I guess, I'm going to cover every episode. Hopefully, right after it airs, I'll write up my immediate impressions, and then, you know, after a week of talking about it with other people and listening to other people's thoughts, maybe I'll do a second write-up before the next episode airs. So I'm definitely cool. planning to yeah. cover to cover that in depth. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. You know, if Showtime was smart, they would do something. So in 1993, Bravo... Uh, got the rights to air Twin Peaks, and that's when they added the Log Lady uh, intros uh, to the to the show. If, if Showtime was smart, they would somehow do something like that. It could even be bookend. You could do at the end have yeah. I don't know, either have Log Lady or have some other thing, which would because right now you can get Twin Peaks through Blu-ray, Netflix. I I don't know if Hulu has it, but there's so yeah, many places yeah. to get Twin Peaks. To make it special, it would be nice to have something new that you could. Nope. You, you, CBS owns Showtime, hmm. and they own Twin Peaks. So there does seem to be a, an alignment there. Definitely. Oh, and they, I guess they licensed Firewalk with me. Okay. Um, because MK2 is the copyright holder, I believe. Ah. They were able to put it on that Blu-ray with the series. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it was huge for that film uh, and its reputation because for a lot of years people just sort of dissociated it from the series and said, oh, there's this film we made after it. A lot of people didn't like it and stuff like that. And I think after it came out with the series last year, like David Lynch saying, this is part of the story, I think it changed a lot of people's minds about it and said, actually, you know what? This is like a really crucial, this is almost like the end point. Yeah. Up, up to that point, not anymore. Now we're right. going to get a new end point. <laughs> and, and Mark Frost, I think he was he was asked somewhere, like, do you consider uh, Firewalk With Me part of Twin Peaks? And he says, of course. So, I mean, I mean, that's kind of encouraging, too, just to hear that. Yeah, because he's always been pretty... He's always sort of defended it, but for a while it was considered as bad as Dune. Mm. So I was shocked when I, I watched the series and the film back to back, like all, all in a rush. And after I watched the film, I was kind of floored. It's a very troubling movie in a lot of ways, you'll see. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's dark. <laughs> differently toned than the series. And I was kind of like grappling. Like I, I knew it was artistically, it was like a masterpiece. I was just blown away by it, and I wasn't expecting that type of movie. So I went online to read the reviews, and lo and behold, the things people wrote about it in 1992 were like they were describing, like, you know, an Ed Wood movie. Yep. yep. I was shocked. Wow. Wow. Um, they really, really did not like that movie. And part of it was a backlash against Lynch and Twin Peaks. People mm -hmm. felt like, um, you know, you were talking about if people would get frustrated if they yeah. didn't answer the Laura mystery. So the, right. The point you're at on the show right now, episode 10. Um, yes. That backlash had already begun. Like the critics really? saying the show is not that good. Um, the ratings had gone even further down. Yeah. Um, people stopped covering it. By the time they got to the resolution of the mystery, hardly anybody was talking about it anymore. So you remember that, you know, better because you were you were there, uh, Ben. Do you have any sort of like anecdotes about that time or sort of seeing Twin Peaks slipping on that radar? Because you're watching that primetime special and it's like. You know, the whole country's tuning in. 
And then a year later, they air the finale, and it loses to reruns of Northern Exposure on a Monday night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it, yeah, and nobody it was, was watching it at that point anymore. It's kind of amazing. And it was frustrating, too, because they, they moved it to Saturdays in, in the second yeah. season. So yeah. you went from Thursday, which is, you know, uh, what they call it, kind of like a, a water cooler, where the next day you could talk about the show, to yeah. a Saturday where, you know, no one's forget, home. Yeah, nobody's home. And, yeah, and yeah. I actually missed, I think I missed one episode uh, in the second season because of the, because I had it planned since Saturday and the, the golf war was going on. And so it was getting on hiatus and it was, yeah, it was just a, it was just a, a mess. But I actually was thinking of Firewalk with me. I did see Firewalk. I'm not going to get into what the, sh- the, the plot or anything, yeah. but I actually went to the movies and saw it in, in theaters, theaters and stuff, which to me was like the most magical thing in the world to be able to see Twin Peaks, in, you know, uh, in, in the theater and stuff. It only was in, it was only in America, uh, yeah, America theaters for two weeks. Oh wow! So, so I mean, like you think about it, like a theater, like people didn't really even have. You know, it's kind of funny to think. I, I always think of movies there for like months or something like yep. that, and think that it's only available for a few weeks because it was bombed and nobody saw. It. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a darker film, and it's one of those things. I, there's still parts yeah. I love. There's still things I love about it, but it was like this is not, this is not the Twin Peaks that I know and stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating movie because it's the only thing I can think of where they made a spin-off movie of the TV show which pretty much sets out to subvert the TV show which yeah. was already pretty you know it's already a pretty subversive TV show but it's like he took it and you know you'll see especially in the first half hour of the movie it very self-consciously flips Twin Peaks on its head mm, and yeah. says like I'm now showing you like the kind of the evil doppelganger of Twin Peaks yeah. All right, without giving, I don't want to give Brian too yeah, much away. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, quick, we don't want to say too much. We'll, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll let it rest. Joel, did you have anything else you want to say about like the second season? Well, only if we go into the very beginning of like, I, I think we were t- talking about the giant. Was there anything that you wanted to bring up about that, or, or no? You know, like, well, well, yeah, with Brian, I wasn't sure if there's oh. some other questions you had for Brian. Yeah, here's what, I, what the main thing I want to ask Brian is: Who do you think killed Laura Palmer? Pop- Oh, okay. Well, being where I am, and reasons and reasons why. <laughs> all right. Well, where I am, it's okay. And I'm so we're gonna jump ahead a little bit in season two, but I, I was just introduced to Mr. Smith. I can't remember his first name, but he's the guy who has all the plants. Harold. He has all the plants, and he's very sneaky and he's very odd. But Laura would bring him meals, um, meals on wheels, and he was like a shut-in, supposedly. Yeah. Um, but for a shut-in, he does have a lot of plants, and he seems to be very organized, and he he, he seems to be outgoing. So I, I almost feel like it could be a facade, almost. And since the last episode I watched, he has Laura Palmer's diary. Hmm. And to me, I'm like, oh, but here, here, my emotions kick in and I go, okay, is this someone I'm going to be led to believe he's the killer, but it's going to go cold just like the other people yeah, that I thought? But uh, for me, I'm like, oh, could he be the missing person? Because this guy. Oh, the mystery man, right? The, mystery the third man. man yeah, the third yeah. man. Is he the third man? Yeah, because. You know, to me, right now, that's what I feel. But in in Twin Peaks fashion, I don't know. It could go cold the next episode. But well, he somebody pointed this out 
Um, and it was somebody who was hadn't watched ahead, so it's not a there's no necessarily spoilers here to say. Yeah. They were about where you at where you were at watching him interact with Donna. And they said he reminded them a lot of uh, Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins. In oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's Very a... pleasant and polite, but he has kind of this, this dark undertow to you him. You definitely see that. That's what I first thought. I, I thought he's a Norman you know? Bates character. That's um, exactly the – because I'm watching Bates Motel. And oh, yeah. He, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. And Bates Motel, um, it's like – they even said this is sort of like if Twin Peaks continued. They're, and it, They're it, definitely inspired by the oh, show. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You watch Base Motel, and you're like, this town has secrets. And a lot of the subplots are very inspired by Twin Peaks. Yeah. There's drugs. There's a mystery. There's all these weird things. And as soon as I saw Miss, um, Harold. Harold, I was like, yeah, I. that's what I thought. Very pleasant. But he's he he lingers. He stares. Creepy. Yeah, he's creepy. Yeah. You know, and he he's all and all of a sudden Donna's smitten on him mm. like right away, and she's yeah. she like screw you, James, because James <laughs> is like falling in love with Laura all over again through Laura's cousin, right, Maddie. There, Maddie. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and Donna wants to be Laura. Like she's acting out, and she's yeah. she's like having identity crisis all of a sudden. Um, so that's where I'm at, and I think it could be him. He could be that mystery guy. So cool. Okay. Hopefully, I have a oh, poker I face. Will neither confirm nor, nor deny. Yeah, right. Yeah, but we. Now, do you have any other suspects as well, or anybody who sort of dropped off your radar who's on there for a while? Um. Well, it's hard to say because we know that Jacques was there. We know that. Was it Bobby? Leo. No, Leo was there. So we yeah. knew Jacques. And those are two people. Uh, Leo, I always suspected since the beginning. So we knew he was there. And then we also have the mis- mysterious um, Mike and. Um, oh, the one armed man you're talking one-armed about? One armed man. Well, yeah. we know Bobby. I uh, know Bob. Bob. Okay. Bob. Mysterious yep. Bob. Right. So where does Bob he come Bob the long haired guy. Yeah, yeah, Bob. Where does he come into place? Right. You know? He's the one armed man who is also. <laughs> Um, well, it's sort of hard to say. At, at the point you're at, you have in the dream, yep. says his name is Mike, and then when they meet him in real life, he says his name is Philip Gerard. Right. Yeah. Well, his middle name is Mike, oh, I Bob. think. But then in the last episode you watched, I guess we'll let uh, we'll, we'll we'll let the, that come up when that comes up. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah. So yeah, obviously his, his it gets complicated. It does. <laughs> yeah. Who is, who is the one-armed man? Does he himself even know? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, because you know what. Without jumping ahead, he is in the bathroom because he went to the police station to uh, sell shoes, and Agent Cooper wasn't there. So he goes to the bathroom and he's having like an episode. He starts having it and he starts like talking to himself. Well, he's talking to um, um, Bob, right? No, Mike. I'm not gonna say anything. No, 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 I'm, I'm trying to remember the scene. I know, but, yeah. He's in the bathroom and he goes and he's like looking around. And he's talking to something. <laughs> so, yeah, that was just like, what's going on here? Right, so, right, like, yeah. that's another getting weird. Yeah, it's getting weird. Yeah. That's what I love about it, though. I love the weirdness. I've always been attracted well, also, to the weirdness. So, when David Lynch directs that two-hour premiere, um, and I guess if anybody you know avoided our warnings and is still listening and they haven't watched the early part of season two. Um, those first few episodes, basically the, the two-hour premiere, 
it brings back some some people and some things that have been forgotten. Um, the one-armed man we haven't seen since episode four. Yeah, and right. you really get the sense in season one that he's a red herring, or that he's not yeah. entirely like he leads them to the veterinarian. But it's like other than that, he was just this guy who popped up in Cooper's dream. We probably saw the last of him, but then no, they bring him back. Yeah, so she was you know the sheriff's station. And then um, the other one, I think I'm forgetting some of the other ones. You think, oh, like, Bob, Renette? Actually, we don't see Bob again um, after Sarah Palmer draws the picture. He kind of disappears from season one, mm-hmm. and then first couple episodes of season two, he's back in a big way, you know? Um, totally. We'll get to that in a second, too. But, um... And I was thinking of Renette? I mean, Renette, I, that's yeah. who I was going to mention. Yeah. yeah, Renette. Yeah. He's a big... I think they were going to... I think they recast her in the first... In episode one... Uh, you see that her parents, and there's a girl in the background hooked up to a machine, and it's not uh, the same. It's not the same actress. Interesting. So I think they thought they were done with her, and then season two comes around, and they're sort of amping up for you know a new mystery angle. And Lynch says, "Bring back uh, Phoebe Augustine, you know, who was the the girl who played Renette." Yeah. Could have been. It could have been Frost too, but it, given Lynch's tendencies, I, I think it was probably Lynch. And now, you know, she's been in three episodes in a row, kind of playing a major a major role again. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool to see Lynch do that. He always kind of brings you back around. Um, yeah, it does kind of feel like you go full circle. Think. Yeah. Cool. Let's, let's jump a little into season two, if, you know, um, listeners be warned. What did, uh, Brian, what did you think of the opening of season two without, without, Getting too much into it because I know you're going to discuss it on your next episode. Yep. How about this? Did you enjoy that long, long sequence? I was like, I, okay. If my first thought, I'm watching it uh, with the with the room service and everything, <laughs> and I was just like, what is going on? I, I honestly was like, okay, I like weird stuff. This is very bizarre, but I like, what is going on in? This room service guy, I'm like, is he dreaming? Because he's just so aloof. Like, I got your milk. I've heard about you. <laughs> and then, oh, my favorite part is when he comes back and he gives him a thumbs up. Yeah. And but then he and Cooper like, tries he, to respond. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah, like, and, and, and it was the, that long, just one shot of the, of, the, of the room service guy giving the thumbs up. He's clapping. I'm like, he must be hallucinating. This yeah. guy, why, why is he not helping him? <laughs> I, I was like, yelling at the screen, like, help him. He's dying. Oh, no. Um, but I, I, in retrospect, I did like it a lot. It was fun. It was actually a lot of fun to watch it, but it was very aggravating to watch it. And of course, yeah. a lot of people probably were turned off by that. It's like, oh, yeah. It was like, this yeah, is taking That was a big turning point, I think. And and you actually said to me, so you saw that episode, and you said, so uh, so I, I, I know who the killer is now, right? I mean, that's what you, by the end of that episode, you thought that they had basically revealed who the killer was. Yeah, who did I say? What? I mean, I think you said that it was uh, there was Bob. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end, there yep. and Laura in the train car. That episode made me feel that. Yes, correct. I remember that now. You're like, okay, I, I, yeah, because you were talking to my wife, and it was like, okay, I can go look on the internet now because yep. I know what's going on. It's like, don't look, look at, at the, the internet. internet. Yeah, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure I asked someone who saw it first. But, yeah, that episode made me believe it was Bob, and I was – that's it. That was – the mystery was over, but um, it was not. Yep. <laughs> well, what do you – yeah, what do you think about that? Because that is – that's a good point, and – for some reason, for the life of me, I don't know why, because I remember every other Bob scene, 
I don't remember watching that the first few times I watched the series. Like, I always got confused with the, the dream sequence in the following episode where, you know, uh, he sees the owl on Bob's face. It all just kind of got tangled in my mind. And then the third or fourth time I watched the series, I'm like, oh, no, actually, this is a huge scene. Like, mm. they're showing Laura's death, basically. Yep. So what? now that you've seen a couple more episodes and they seem to still be, like, do you think the viewers know and the show is keeping it from us? Or do you think there's more to the story? Like, what, what are your theories on that? Um, like, well, where, where I am, I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it keeps the mystery because it, I felt like I, I've fallen a couple times to who I thought the killer was. and um, But also, it it is going deeper into a mythology that almost keeps you, you're like, oh, who's the killer of Laura Palmer? And you that almost becomes like secondary because mm-hmm. now you're like, who are the owls? Um, who are these, the 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 bookside brothers um oh the bookhouse boys yeah, yeah. bookhouse boys who is this who's that and you're like laura palmer who like i'm all, i'm like this is a lot going on and almost the, almost the murder mystery part of it becomes like almost a subplot to the subplot to the subplot a gateway into the bigger mystery yeah, yeah and i think the town i think they do a great job of unraveling it in the beginning i was very overwhelmed with all these characters i was like i couldn't keep track well, this of is the was... first season you're yeah about. yeah but by the end like you were saying four through seven i was captivated and even the most boringest plot line i was interested by the characters um but this season yeah i'm like um i like the agent cooper how he's wounded he can't really be um active you know he's sitting down he's in pain and all, all these different um little different things but yeah it's just um the mystery gets bigger but with the town the town becomes it feels bigger than it really is and the mysteries become bigger and i get thrown off constantly and i think if i was watching this and you know back then i would be i would be captivated but 22 episodes i know you guys said there's a couple dud episodes and that's always my fear. I enjoy the nine, ten episode seasons because when you do twenty two, there's always duds. Yeah, there's always duds, and that could be a, be a turn off for people, you know. But yeah, I haven't gotten to the dud episodes right. yet. I do yet. wonder if it would have been something if they had stuck with that seven seven episode model or something. Because yeah, 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 if they had done that for the second season, and then if they could have had a third yeah. season and stuff, I think it would have helped the show out a lot. But and I think. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. Actually, I won't go into that. But <laughs> would, well, you, would you say that that at this point the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer is is solved, and that you you know Bob did it, and that the mystery now is like what is Bob? Um, well, for me, I still think um, Harold could be it. Uh, but the Bob okay. thing, yeah, the big yeah. How do you, what, what, so what, you what's the purpose of Bob? The impression you had after the end of episode. Yeah, uh, the, the end of the season two premiere of Oh, I know who did it now. Oh, with Bob. Um, yeah, like I thought, like, okay, Bob did it, but what is Bob? Because why is he being in these premonitions? People are seeing him visions, but mm-hmm. then the owl thing, and then after the last episode, I watched the the owls are watching. Okay, is Bob? Is Bob really an imaginary character? But also, my other thought was, is Bob? 
the alter ego to uh, the uh, um, one arm Mike. You know, is he like, is he like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High thing? Because yeah. he's, he's talking to him in the bathroom, like, I'm going to find you. But, you know, is that really him? And those two characters seem to go hand in hand throughout the whole series. If when our Mike and Bob were in the dream together. And then when we first see them, they're in that room and he said they're best friends and oh right the, the the well the bob and bob lidecker from the veterinarian there yeah. right the shoe salesman the shoes, and, yeah, yeah built mike Jar- gerard so like yeah i kind of feel like yeah is bob like is yeah is he is he a spirit or is he part of this one arm mike or what or is he something deeper is yeah. he not a person is you know is he a lore in the in the woods because why did they put the owl face on him you know that's right. that was like that was weird. Yep, it was. <laughs> the, the, uh, the owls are not what they seem. Exactly, <laughs> and the owls are not what they seem. So that's to me, yeah, the bigger mystery. And so, you saw, uh, yeah, uh, Major Briggs bring in uh, about talk about UFOs yeah, and the yeah. printout yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and Cooper, 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 because he's like, and in the in the log lady is the one that told, the log told. Uh, the log lady to tell Mr. Briggs to tell Agent Cooper. Oh yeah. So now the log would be connected to the woods, which would be connected yeah. to the owls, which could be connected to Bob because we see the owl's face on on his face. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's it's so like. You know, we yeah. talked about needing a map for all these characters. It's almost like we need like a spiritual map as well. We like okay, all the spirits related yeah, to the shows. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it gets, even my brain is melting just saying all that is just crazy. And before we started, you yeah. were saying you might want to rewatch this someday, right? Because yeah. you're thinking because there is so much going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And when we do the podcast, I like talking about it because it really opens up um, things I didn't see before. And just like yeah. the Marilyn Monroe connection and everything, that is something new. And um, but I have I have a question for you guys, for Joel and Ben. Um, Season three, I mean, without ruining anything for me, but season three, what would you guys want to see in season three? Oh, man. <laughs> Do you want another murder mystery? Do you want Laura Palmer somehow to continue, even though you find out who the killer is? Or do you, like, do you, do you guys think it will be a new mystery? Well, I want more of what you're well, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> What's that, Joel? About it. What'd you say, Joel? Say, you go, you go first. I'll... All right, I'll say I want more of what you're talking about. I want more of this, uh, maybe spiritual mystery. I'm not sure what's going on, but I know you're gonna lead me to the right direction, kind of stuff. I yeah, think. Yeah. I mean, I want more of that. I mean, I want more of the characters that I really like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I guess you know, like <laughs> the characters that I really, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, without saying which characters, without saying, but like, yeah, the characters that I I fell in love with and enjoyed watching. I hope to see again in the new series. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and they'll have kids, and they'll have a mystery. Yeah, it'll be Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks babies or something. Yeah, you know? Twin Peaks. <laughs> Joel, what do you think? It's tough. I think um, I you asked if there should be another murder mystery. I think I can't see any way that like I've, I've I've heard suggestions and I've thought of things like, well, what if it's like you know um, another young girl who echoes Laura Palmer and they actually like emphasize that like it's supposed to be an echo. And I can't see any way for them to do it without sort of just seeming like they're repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Even if that's the point, it's hard to pull off. 
So I'm thinking there's got to be a sexual mystery hook. I'm thinking it should be something more... Um, I don't know if it should be a murder. But mm. then it's hard to do a mystery that's not a murder mystery. Really, the only other thing is a disappearance, you know? Mm. And that could be cool because that's like an open-ended thing. I could see Lynch really kind of getting on board with that. You know, somebody has disappeared and and who knows where they are. Are they dead? Are they alive? So, th- so that could be kind of cool. Uh, I'm thinking maybe maybe they would go for that. Um, you know, or maybe, maybe it will start off with a murder. But I think the important thing for me would be um, that they continue, and I'm sure they will do this because it's, you know, it's these guys writing it all themselves, not handing it off to anybody else. I want it to follow through on, like, the psychological and the spiritual underpinnings mm. of the show. And I think sometimes the original show doesn't do that. Mm. Um, there's one episode, I won't spoil, but you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. They drop the ball so flagrantly on some of that stuff that you're just like, what? But, you know, it comes back eventually and they, they deal with it. But it's like there are some really, like, powerful things in the series and then in the film. And I want to see... I want to see that, like, undertone there. Like, we're talking about all the sort of the cool things and the, the owls in the wood and the doubles of people, you know, yeah. talking about how everything's twin, like the, like the title is, you know, duality everywhere. And I think what's cool about that stuff is if you kind of think about it and, like, reflect on it, it all, it, it really does have, like, a, a deeper meaning and a, and a resonance, you know? And I think that got lost for a lot of people who tuned off after the first season. They said, well, Twin Peaks is a lot of fun very entertaining, but they didn't take it too seriously. And I think um, I would love to see, what I would love to see this new series do above all is kind of remind people of that, that underlying, you know, power and seriousness of, of, of the film. I want it to be a lot of fun, too. I want to have the humor, yeah. the crazy surrealism, and the, like, you know, the characters you love and all of that. But I want it to sort of force people to confront what they avoided um, when the show first aired which is to say when it wasn't just all fun and games, they kind of turned away and said, ah, you know, they brushed it off. Like, oh, this this show doesn't mean anything. They're just pulling it. They're just yanking our chain and all of that. <laughs> right. So it's hard, you know, I can't get too specific because, yeah. um, you know, you haven't seen a lot of stuff yet. Yeah. But that's my main concern for the new series is that it sort of sticks to that core of what Twin Peaks was about, which, which disappeared from the show for a little while. Um, you're not at that point yet, but, you know, and then Lynch really re-emphasized it near the end of the show and in the film and all of that. So, yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to cool. is like, you know, that underbelly of Twin Peaks uh, coming up again. Yeah. And I imagine they're going to have to modernize it, which is kind of strange. Cause yeah, in a way, in weird. It's kind of strange because twi- in a way, twi- I think I've talked to you this, about this, Brian. It, it feels like it's in its own time. It's like in the 50s, but it's like it, it feels yeah, there's like its no own time. time. An, yeah. But now we're going to have cell phones, I imagine. And I imagine there's some things that are going to they're going to have to update for. Or maybe like, not. Maybe they take place. It's, it takes place like a couple years. At, well, they're all older, <laughs> but maybe they could still fudge it where. Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, know. it's kind of its own time piece almost, right? I feel like you're, I feel like it's in this ambiguous uh, era because, like, I also witnessed the random singing with uh, James Donna. And, like, it's like, just you. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like not contemporary music. 
I mean, yeah. I know the music that was out when this show came out, and this is not the music. This right. is bizarre. <laughs> so loves that fifties thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, he, like he's like the James Dean, yep. you know, and he's playing it up. He's like Elvis all of a sudden. And why are they singing in the living room? And it sounds like they're in a record <laughs> studio, recording studio, you know? Is that what every teenage kid do? Maybe maybe Bob's playing an instrument behind the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bob's well, behind the couch. Oh man, that's he could have been because definitely she, drums in there. Yeah. She did see Bob behind the couch, oh, so man. he could have been. He's just he waiting for his moment to come. Yeah, up. he's recording it actually. He's like Charles Manson. He's oh, gonna have man. an album come that's out. That's why he came out at the end. He's like, why did you stop recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! I like that song. So, what did you think of that moment when Bob comes? Oh. Yeah, Madeline basically sees Bob in the living room. Yeah, and I was like, well, why does she see Bob now? Um, that made no – because so far it's only been Laura's mom. Mm-hmm. But this is the cousin who looks just like Laura. And Laura, now all of a sudden she's seeing Bob. So that's why I thought that Bob had, had the deeper meaning with everything. Because is it affecting only the females of that – of that family hmm. because the mom's seen it obviously a connection with Laura and now it, is Bob trying to tell them something it's you know it, so those are the things I saw and I mean the only thing they see is they decide to just scream and get scared but yeah well and, and uh, Leland saw him at the uh, whatchamacallit the house did you? Is there? Oh. Did you see, I don't know. But I don't think. Like I don't know. Brian seen like anything about that? Not a vision, but like an actual guy who right. lives there. I don't know. Brian seen that yet, though. Have you? No, no. I don't. No, yeah, he's on episode. Not episode ten. One where Mike goes in the bathroom. So would you have seen? There was a picture of. Actually, of, it's, it's earlier. It's the same episode where Bob comes out from behind the couch. Leland's talking to the horns, and he sees the wanted poster. And then oh. in the next episode, yep. Do you remember Mike that? Was in the bathroom, he says. He saw he was at the house Pearl Lakes. That's the word right. that I was looking for. He was at Pearl Lakes. Brian, so Brian, Brian doesn't remember. Know what... that there, unless he saw a vision too, which he could have. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I ain't saying, but but you know we yeah. So we know there was there. And Cooper and Cooper's seen him in his dream. Cooper, right? But Cooper saw him in his dream. But Cooper is a strong sender. That's true, yeah. Cooper's <laughs> And Cooper has superpowers. So yeah. he... Um, he uh, dreams. A dream. Visions. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, Wouldn't yeah. he like, do good rock throwing uh, if, if it wasn't for his dreams? I mean... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. But, um, Joel, we got we should have you on again uh, after we finish season two, if you don't mind. Because yeah, it's been a back. very, or even if we, you know, we we might take another break between then too. We, yeah, I don't know if we want to do if have him back when we talk about the the killer, or if we want to just be us on the killer episode. I would, yeah, I'd say I was gonna say um, the. I'm trying to think what would make more. Well, I think what we're talking about doing is doing bit, having the episode. I don't, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's sort of two episodes that resolve the mystery. That right. play a part yeah. in resolving the mystery. Um, it's not just like boom, one episode, it's over. Yeah. So I'm thinking, would it be better to do it after the first or the second one? Probably the second, because then we'd have more to talk about. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, thinking too. Yeah. It'd be uh, right okay. when, when it, could, yeah, I'm yeah, totally it, game for that. 
That'd be awesome. And, and I, I wanted to bring uh, bring forward too, like kind of making the connections from different episodes, how it, we uh, kind of leads us to showing that this person was the killer and stuff. So yeah, I know I was going to yeah. bring that forward. And we'll yeah, just that's have... true. There's so much to go back into and look at. Yeah. Now, what do you know about Firewalking Me in terms of plot or theme or or do you characters or anything? Nothing. Know anything about it? I know nothing. Okay. Do you know if it's a um a uh, if it's a future? I mean, is it a prequel or is it? Well, a I was gonna ask you guys that because oh no, we shouldn't say. It. Well, they yeah. they they talk about fire. Know? They say fire walk <laughs> with me in the first season. So yeah, they do mention in the I think the pilot fire walk me, and then we have yep. the dream. They mention in, in in the dream as well. So I was like in my in my head going, oh, was fire walk with me already a glimmer of something? When you know, is this something he already had in mind? Or did this come after the cancellation? Or, you know, I didn't know where it lands okay. in timeline. No. I was much last. Do you want to know anything or do you want to be totally surprised? I'll be totally surprised. Right. I'll be that's totally cool. surprised. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I think this has been an excellent show. I think yeah, this thank is a you, great, great time to wrap yeah, it up. No, I enjoyed talking to you guys. Yeah, uh, we had a pleasure. Now, anything you, wa- uh, you want to promote your, your page? Like everything? Uh, sure, yeah. So my website is, it's called Lost in the Movies. Right now, the address is thedancingimage.blogspot.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at, uh, at Lost in the Movies. Um, so you can, you can follow me on there, and I blog all my, or I tweet all my uh, posts when they go up and my videos and stuff like that. Now, did you say you wanted to play the intro to something, right? Yeah, I, I like, thought I thought we'd end other, the show. We'd end the show uh, with uh, the intro of chapter six uh, uh, from Journey Through yeah, Twin that's Peaks. A good one to show at this point. Yeah, I think it gives you a little taste of uh, of, of what you do. Thank you, Joel. Yes, thank yeah, you. No problem. It was it was good to uh, to to participate. So do we? What do we want to do? Do we? We want to just do our well, before before we go. At what yeah. what point did did you want to play it up to? I was just gonna play up to um yeah I think I'm just gonna play up to um it's basically just where Lynch Lynch talks. So I mean there's a little That's video clip exactly of exactly what I was thinking. Yeah where yeah. He has a little quote and then yep. they start playing this. I start playing the mystery, mysteries of love. Yeah. The song. That's pretty, yeah good okay that's what I was gonna suggest because I think. His little quote is crucial to sort of what we were talking about earlier with him and how he sees law and how he sees filmmaking. So totally, and, and like I, I endorse that idea. Thank you, Joel. And you really <laughs> don't you don't get the full effect of of Joel's work through the audio. You really do have to go and watch his videos because not yeah, only watch the videos, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> really, the, the way you've you, you've you've made the pacing and the timing and the visuals that you put together, it's just brilliant. I mean, it, you got to check it out. All Twin Peaks people who you know are into this, go go see Joel's work. Um, all right, so this Wait. is. Been, the best way to search for that, for, for people to find it, um, you can find it on my blog. It's on the sidebar and also the top. Um, you can also Google, you can Google Journey Through Twin Peaks. I put it in quotes, though, because many people have used the phrase Journey and Twin Peaks. Mm, yeah. So if you put it all, Journey Through journey through Twin Peaks in quotes, um, the videos will come up, I hope. <laughs> awesome. Cool, cool. So this has been uh, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Follow us on Twitter. Twin Peaks Unwrapped, and uh, like us on Facebook. Give us an email. Twin Peaks uh, uh, Unwrapped at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And before we, we leave you with this little piece, I, I, I just wanted to let you know. I wanted to thank everybody who's been listening to us, but 
we have a lot of people in the United States, and I just thought this was interesting. United Kingdom, we have like 15 people. We might have more by the time this airs. Uh, Sweden, Germany, Argentina, Canada, Poland, Italy, Ireland, Finland, Czech Republic, Hong Kong, Brazil, Netherlands, and Romania. That's awesome. And what, about the, what about the United States? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Um, United States is general. I mean, I could get. Gorbachev is listening. He's going to finally find out who killed Laura Palmer. Yes, I think Gorbachev is listening. Uh, 85, 84% were in yeah. the United States. But I don't know. I mean, I can get into. Yeah, but I thought that was cool. Like really cool to see. Thank you guys for listening. Thank thank you. We really do appreciate it and stuff. So, uh, yeah, Joel, stay on the phone. We'll talk for another minute, but we'll we'll end here. And uh, Mm -hmm. and yeah, thanks a lot for listening. In the mid to late 80s, Mark Frost was fresh from a career-making turn as lead writer for Hill Street Blues, and David Lynch had just pulled off the directorial triumph of Blue Velvet. Their first collaboration was an aborted project called The Goddess, about Marilyn Monroe's mysterious death. Lynch would later complain, it got into the realm of biopic and the Kennedys thing, and away from the movie actress that was falling, I got cold on it. A year or two later, Twin Peaks was born. Laura Palmer was probably Mark Frost's invention, based on an unsolved case from the village where his family spent its summers. Right away, Frost realized the power of this plot device, a path into the complicated relationships of Twin Peaks, its dark history and whispered secrets. And Lynch was bewitched by the iconic power of this human yet lifeless object, a corpse wrapped in plastic, twin to the severed ear that initiated Blue Velvet's mystery. In Seattle, Lynch and Frost decided to hire locally for the small part of Laura Palmer's body. They chose an inexperienced theater actress and shot all of her scenes, mostly as a corpse, in a few days before moving on. Only later, watching some home video footage of a picnic to be used as evidence in the pilot episode, did Lynch and Frost see something more. Quite unexpectedly, the bit player had brought the dead girl back to life. For the first time, Laura Palmer was real. Things are interesting to you and uh, you sort of have to uh, find out about them. And I think uh, sometimes people have a, they don't want to take a chance and go into a darkness to discover what it is. And I like, you know, to do that. Sometimes I